This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. For years, the notion of being a millennial has garnered varying degrees of responses. For Jeff Schmitz, the CMO of Zebra Technologies, the millennial mindset is what he's attempting to instill in his clients. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Jeff sat down and chatted about how Zebra Technologies is helping the healthcare industry and essential workers everywhere operate more efficiently. Plus, he discusses how a partnership with the NFL is pushing the sport forward and why it's time everyone starts thinking like a millennial. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Jeff, what's going on? Not much. Thanks for having me, Ian. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. We are going to talk about your work at Zebra Technologies and your background. So let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? Yeah, it turns out that by education, I'm actually an engineer. So kind of a circuitous route to marketing, but an interesting story. Um, I started my career out as a test engineer, actually. So I was testing in the telecom environment. I was a tester. I worked with a very large, complicated system. And I was in system tests, so I really got to understand how the system worked. And that kind of led me into really trying to understand, well, what is the value of the system I'm working on? It was a digital cross-connect is the kind of system it was. And that kind of led me to thinking, well, why do customers use this? Why do they choose our company and our product versus others? And it's that kind of deep understanding of the product and its application that's kind of an engineering function. But I was also able to bridge that into kind of a marketing role. And I ended up getting into product management. And that product management job led me to general management at some point, and then onto a couple CMO roles. So that's kind of how I got here in a kind of a non-traditional way. And if there's a lesson in here somewhere, I think, and I use this a lot when I mentor people, is it doesn't really matter what your background is, but if you can understand, you know, the go-to-market motion of a company, what they're building, why customers buy that solution versus the alternatives, you're really setting yourselves up yourself up for a great career. That's that's kind of my advice. It doesn't matter where you come from. And that's what kind of led me to market. And so flash forward to today, tell me about what it means to be CMO of Zebra Te- Technologies. Yeah. So what I own at the end of the day is really the marketing strategy. And that strategy has to do with how do we drive awareness of Zebra Technology to our potential customers and channel partners, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. How do we drive demand? And then a preference ultimately for Zebra in the buying cycle. And some of these things are, are traditional. You'd expect to be owned by the CMO. Things like product marketing and, and the launch of products, digital marketing, things like the web and, and advertising, et cetera. Um, and certainly external communications and PR is, is another one. And then we have regional teams doing marketing in, in all the different geographies, whether that be Asia, Latin America, North America, uh, or Europe. So we have those field teams as well. I think the part of the job, and you always see some, sometimes these pieces exist in marketing, sometimes they, 
do, sometimes they don't. I also own a, a function called Business Market Intelligence. This is kind of our internal uh, agency that tracks, and we track this ourselves, what is our market share? Um, what's the size of the market? What, what can we expect next year's size of the market to be? Anticipate that. So we do the, that kind of business market intelligence. They also do things like uh, run our net promoter score uh, and other surveys we do of our of customers and partners. We also own internal communications, so our, our communications to our employees. Uh, we also own customer advocacy or a reference program. And we also own the, the philanthropy function associated with Zebra. So a lot of the traditional things you'd expect us in a CMO and a few other things sprinkled in as well. Yeah, no kidding. That's that is a few extra indeed. Um, that's pretty interesting because you know you're kind of seeing this moment in time where um, you know marketing is obviously changing a bunch. Um, we we talk about it on the show that you know a lot more uh, CEOs of the future, um, you know, we think at least are going to be marketers because your marketers are getting closer and closer to the customer, getting closer to customer experience, getting closer to um, you know, selling directly with a lot of like D to C or kind of like bottom up B to C type uh, companies and buying cycles and things like that. It's it's interesting to see how much of uh, of the company kind of falls under uh, of under marketing. Why is that? Well, I think when the um, role was created, I think that uh, you know we had an interesting opportunity as a company because in late 2014, Zebra Technologies bought a billion dollars of revenue, bought a part of Motorola, which was two and a half billion dollars of the revenue. That's the enterprise business. And I'll talk about that maybe later, the different components that brought. But what that meant is we had to rethink the whole organization. And so um, when the CMO role was created, it, 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 it contained many of these functions. And there was an also a thought of adding some of these functions like the, the business market intelligence component. And then some over time, we've added like customer advocacy is something we really didn't have or philanthropy was a small piece of our HR function and we brought that in. So some of that's just kind of the, the, the decisions that get made over time as well. And some of it were decisions were made when all the functions were split up in a pretty significant acquisition. Taking a step back, who is Zebra Technologies customer base? Who are the folks that you're working with? What is that kind of buyer persona or buyer group look like? Yeah, I think there's two two key things when we think about Zebra. So the, to step back all the way, you really have to ask the question, well, who is Zebra and what, what are your products? And then who are your end customers? So when I think about describing Zebra to folks, what I would say is, you know, we're a company that's now over 50 years old. Last year was our 50 year anniversary. Most companies don't live near, nearly that long. And there's been a number of transformations, but one thing's held true is, we've consistently been putting technology in the hands of frontline workers. And something you hear a lot today, when we hear about COVID, we hear about frontline workers. Those are frontline workers that you would see in a retail environment. So store associates who might have a mobile computer in their hand so they can understand inventory. Or if they don't have something in stock, they can order it online with that mobile device. Uh, and you might see those, whether they're in um, grocery stores doing inventory, uh, at home improvement stores or other retail environments, as an example. You also see our scanning devices, again, at grocery stores and retail, but you also see them in industrial applications, warehouses, manufacturing, transportation and logistics, scanning a, scanning a box when, or taking a picture of a box when they leave it at your front, uh, front desk, or in healthcare, where they may scan your wristband 
that you got an admission and then scan your medication to make sure you're getting the right medication at the right time. That's what we build and that's what we sell. And our end customers are those people really on the front line of those key verticals. And so that's one aspect. The other aspect is over 80% of our business is done through channels. So we have a, you know distribution and value-added reseller channel in every region and they move most of our products. So when we think about marketing, yes, we wanna create preference and demand in the end users, but we also know our partners have choices and we need to market to them as much as we do the end users. So both audiences are really important to us. Yeah, let's get into the channel piece. You know, we've we've discussed it a few times on the show. I, I think it's um, a topic that is not nearly discussed enough considering how many folks are doing it. Um, yeah, how do you look at your overall strategy uh, and marketing in that way? So I think this has been an, a, an area of growth for us over the last few years. I would say that when I got here, you know, there was a lot of focus on getting the organization and basic processes together because of this acquisition situation. Um, but now that I think things have moved on and we think about the channels, we want to move away from just big product launches and making sure when we do launch a product, we, one, we look at the entire portfolio. And secondly, we, we leverage that value of the portfolio across the life cycle and we create a value proposition that works for our channel as much as it works for our end users. And we really think of the channel as uh, another decision point. And let me give you an example. Um, oftentimes when we sell some of our solutions, let me give you a, an example, a scanner. So oftentimes when one of our scanners, like a trigger scanner you might see at a retail environment, it's also sold with the rest of the, what they call point of sale uh, equipment. That could be everything from the cabinetry to the cash register, to all the equipment you'd see at a typical checkout in a retail store, right? And so oftentimes that's bundled in and a scanner is only one of those pieces. And oftentimes what happens is the, um, the, the choice is made not by the end user, because they're buying an integrated solution, sometimes the choice is made by that channel partner. So it's important that the channel partner understand why is Zebra the best choice for that application as much as it is for the end customer. Yeah, that seems like it's a complex sale and perhaps even a more complex marketing uh, marketing scenario. Um, seems like, you know, anytime where you're talking to multiple different groups of people, that's going to be pretty challenging. How do you navigate that on your team? Well, I think we have to constantly remind ourselves that we have multiple audiences because I think the, the default position for a lot of marketing teams is to think about the value to the end user, right? You go all the way to the end, seems like always the most straightforward approach, but it's not always the, 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 the right approach. And I think we, we've got to think not just about the end user value, but what's the go-to-market motion look like? How much is the channel making that choice versus the end user? And yeah. then- you know, once you figure out, you know, where that lies for a given product line, um, then it's easier to, to assess where to spend your time and effort. Yeah. What are some of those triggers? Like, what are some of those things that, that you're looking for? Because I think you're exactly right. Um, I think a lot of people do speak the language of the end user when they're selling a product, um, when in reality, the person that is buying it is looking for something else entirely, right? Like, they're looking at a, a group of uh, products or services that potentially, you know, in their eyes are not the biggest thing on, on their agenda that day or whatever it is, you know, they're focused yeah. on X, Y, or Z. And, and I think that that's a, perhaps a, a tricky thing to, to market to. Yeah. I mean, it can be tricky because sometimes products go through phases where maybe it's 
sold initially directly and then eventually through the channel. But let me give you some examples because you really have to sort it by product line or, or product. And I'll give you a few examples. Um, I gave you one already that's typically sold through the channel. That would be a scanner or a barcode printers as an example, often sold through the channel and often sold, you know, one at a time or a few at a time versus let's say our mobile computers where if a large retailer is going to deploy a single platform of mobile ruggedized computers that are put in the hands of the store associate, they don't make those decisions by buying a handful at a time or, or buying uh, a bunch for a single store. They usually make a platform decision. And in those cases, you definitely want to focus on the end user um, more. And again, not that the channel is important, but those would be scenarios where you'd spend more time with uh, thinking about um, the end user than the channel. Those run rate products, more on the channel. I'll give you another example. We've been moving to more and more complex solutions. Uh, we, in January, announced um, a robotic solution called SmartSight that actually is a, an automated robotic system with machine vision that can go up and down the aisles in a retail store, and it can um, identify when there's um, uh, products in the wrong place, mismatch of pricing, lack of inventory, and it actually redirects uh, the humans in the store to, to alert them to these problems so that they can correct them. Selling a complex solution like that is definitely going to involve, for these newer technologies, going to involve the end user. So there's kind of three examples for you. Complex, newer solutions, definitely focus on the end user. Things that are sold in bulk and, and to, to large customers, you've got to focus on the, on the large customers and the channel to some degree. And then these run rate kind of products definitely want to focus on the channel. That, that's, that's a general rule. And so what would campaigns look like for those different, uh, those different groups? Um, like how are you structuring the, uh, the actual marketing campaigns and assets and resources that you're delivering against those? Yeah. So when we think about the different go-to-market motions, it, it drives a different set of assets that we would build at a launch and how we would promote that to the channel and to um, end users. And for most products, we do we do a balance. Like most of our traditional products, we, we develop a, an asset called a five by five. You know, what are the five reasons why an end user needs this? What are those silver bullets? And what are the five reasons the channel should select this product? So those are great, great kinds of tools that keep us focused on both sides of that. Um, I think if, if we're coming out with a newer solution, again, and we're going to target larger customers and we may or may not go through channels, it's a different asset list typically. And usually for those newer solutions, um, you want to get a lot of thought leadership and awareness where the more mature products, you're focused more on demand. And again, that drive, will drive different assets and different strategies. I like that five by five. That's pretty slick. Um, that's a nice little model to use. Everyone likes silver bullets, right? So if you can if you can get things down to a to to small reminders of what's really important, it, it can be helpful. How do you look at at content with regards to this? Because it seems like with so many different um, you know types of uh, you know go to market motions, that it seems like you could just from a content perspective be making stuff all day every day, and that's all you end up doing. Well, I mean, to be fair, I would say that. Um, in marketing, one of the things we all have to be conscious of is we all like building and maybe me more than most as an engineer. People love to build and we get tired of things sometimes before the audience does. So you need to make sure that the data is driving you to when you need to refresh something. But you're right to say we 
we get driven to create a lot of content. And I think, you know, one of the things we're trying to do more recently is to skinny that content down and try to be more precise about what we build for what products. Because what we find is, given that we operate internationally, is it's great to have lots of content, but if you spend all your effort on content, then you have to translate all the content. And then, you know, you want to make sure you have enough money for activation on the backside of that. So we've been very conscious about, and this is things we're still working on, is how do we skinny down the content, get the right content at the right time, and, and not overdo it, and make sure we have enough money for translation and activation. So I have to say that's a constant thing that, that, that we're working on. How do you retain visibility across your marketing landscape? Yeah, from an internal perspective, like across my own team, you're saying, or across yeah, yeah, yeah. Outs externally? Well, I mean, both, like how your team uh, is managing all of those go-to-market motions. Um, like, how are you looking at data? How are you doing things like that? Well, let me start with that, what I think is the most important aspect. And, and this is what I, I find, and, and, and it's important from me as a, uh, as a CMO, which is the most important thing to me is having the right team. And I feel very blessed to have a fantastic team. And I, I trust my team implicitly. So the good news is I don't feel like I need to be, um, you know, micromanaging any of uh, my direct reports and most of the team. They, they, we have very experienced people. I trust them. We're all on the same page. And that gives me a lot of latitude. Now, in terms of data, we we were quick when I when I got here four years ago to build a dashboard. So I have a pretty good view by region. Um, every day, I can take a look at my dashboard and say, what are the web visits doing? You know, what does my lead funnel look like? Um, what does my social interactions look like, etc. So I can monitor all that in a quick dashboard. And again, I have a lot of faith in, in my team. Uh, and they do a fantastic job. And, and we've, we've built a lot of good uh, culture in the team where I think there's a lot of trust. And I think people are working very well together. So I I don't, I don't feel like I need to get uh, overly embedded in the details unless there's specific problems or specific projects that need attention. Other than that, I can look at my dashboard and, and I can see what's happening in the business. When you were brought in, um, you know, a handful of years ago at this point, um, what was the thing that kind of drew you to the opportunity? Yeah, so I have to say that I knew some of the, the folks at Zebra. I had a really good feeling for the culture. And when I interviewed for the job, I could feel that, you know, um, as I put it, you know, the, you, could, you could feel the culture. It was palpable that something was happening here. And, and the job's transitioned a lot since then. Again, even though it was a year after the acquisition, we were still integrating a lot of the backend systems and the integration was nowhere near done and the gelling of the team wasn't there and if i think about the journey over the last four years i think it started really my first focus was one let's make sure every decision we make in the short term has a direct tie to driving revenue that's number one the second thing i want to do is let's get the right team together let's build the right culture that was absolutely a focus so um, those were the those were the big things at that point. What's happened in the last few years is a focus on um, a changing role from just supporting revenue to driving revenue. And this is something Ian you referenced before. As we move now into you know 
modern marketing, how do we develop a better view of the customer, a 360 degree view? How do we personalize what we're doing with, um, with our customer? How do we drive that engagement with the customer, even if there's not a salesperson involved initially? And how do we become a source of revenue? So in some cases, we're driving that to e-commerce um, marketplace we have and other things. So talk about your approach to customer centricity. How have you, you know, reinvigorated Zebra, for lack of a better term, uh, uh, since you've been there? There's probably maybe three key points that I, I want to touch on. One thing that's evolved over time is this idea of um, customer experience. So we have a long tail of partners. We have over 10,000 partners and hundreds of thousands of customers. And uh, traditionally, we've always owned the net promoter score and also done other surveys because of our ownership of the business market intelligence. And one of the things we're trying to promote in terms of customer centricity is we have all this data about customers, not just what we're surveying in NPS and other surveys we do and other voice of customer uh, things that we do, um, but we also get a lot of a lot of data about how people are engaging with us digitally. And you know, when people buy one product, what's the most likely other product they get? So we've got a lot of information. And one of the things we're trying to move marketing to, not only just a source of revenue versus supporting revenue, we're also trying to become kind of the voice of the customer, particularly that long tail that doesn't have a voice in the C-suite, right? So while they're a significant portion of our business, it's they tend to be a very long tail and smaller uh, folks. So that's, that's one area of customer uh, centricity. I think the other area that, that, that we're focusing on is I think through digital, you get a chance to really start to really personalize the experience that you can give your customers as they're going through their buyer's journey, as they're trying to do their research and determining who they're going to consider on their shortlist and try to compare products, which we know is happening digitally. The more we know about that customer and how they're progressing and how they're engaging, the more we can present them with customized information to help them along the better off we are. And I think that's another way to drive digital and personalization towards customer centricity. So um, those are the two big points. And the last one I would say is what we discussed before, we got to constantly remind ourselves of our channel. Our channel is, is fundamental to how we go to market and it's a key audience member for us. So we need to look at, when we think about the long tail, yes, there's hundreds of thousands of end users, but those 10,000 partners are critical to our business. So staying in tune with what they're, how they're responding, when they're, what are they selling more of, what are they selling less of, those, that kind of information is invaluable for us to be focused on the customer, respond to the customer, but also reflect that as I'm sitting in the executive team meetings. Do you have any uh, favorite campaigns that you've had over the years? Boy, um, I think we've had um, a lot. I'm going to mention two. One briefly is a when we started working on rebranding a couple of years ago, we really focused on how do we create a performance edge for those on the front line. That was kind of our um, key theme of our brand and, and the tagline was capture your edge. And we created a campaign around that and around um, our products, how they were custom built for those people on the front line. And we called it the made for you, uh, made by Zebra. So we would consistently talk about um, you know, showing how our products were built for those frontline people and say, you know, how, how our product was built for, you know, Bob who's in the warehouse and really personalizing it. 
The second one, it's hard to overlook because it's, it's one that we've kicked off just recently is one we call Empowering Heroes. And if you go to our website, I think it's at zebra.com slash heroes, you'll see that because of the unique position that we're in, we're many of the industries that are considered essential today, delivering, you know, getting the supply chains to get food to the grocery stores, keeping the grocery stores open at, at checkout, um, uh, healthcare, supporting pop-up hospitals or drive-through testing, which we help do with our specimen tracking uh, applications. And that's both printing labels for the specimens, um, tracking them through accurately and efficiently by scanning them every step along the way to make sure that uh, samples are run through the process quickly and efficiently. Uh, we're supporting all those and we built a campaign called Empowering Heroes. And the idea of, of that video, if you watch the video, which is the hero asset, is really not trying to sell you anything. It's just really taking a moment out to celebrate the frontline workers that, that we've traditionally served over the years and really point out that you know they're, they're the real heroes of today. And um, I think that's been a very moving campaign. It's actually been our most engaged with campaign. Um, and it's been engaged with not because we're spending a lot of money advertising, because I think it's it's um, it's been picked up because I think it, it really holds true to really celebrating what they're doing. And then we've coupled that campaign with a lot of material behind that to help support those uh, frontline workers. For example, if you're in healthcare, how do I how do I wipe down and sterilize my mobile computer or my scanner or same things true in a in the grocery store. So how do we put assets out there that make it easy to figure out, hey, I've got a device that's shared from one store associate to the next. How do I make sure it's clean when I'm done with it so that the next person gets a clean device that's not infected? And that requires uh, wiping down and different products have different procedures. Our healthcare products have special wipe down plastics where our typical retail solutions don't have those, but they still can be cleaned. So you wanna make sure you have the right cleaning procedure for the right, um, uh, for the right device. And we also try to make sure that we've taken some of our experiences that we've had, like helping set up some of these pop-up hospitals that have happened. Um, one example is the Nightingale facility in the UK, where they have to set up these hospitals in case there's overflow from the hospitals, and they need all the same kinds of applications you need in a regular hospital, right? They need wristband printers so that they can admit people into the hospital. Then they scan those to make sure that the right person gets the right treatment at the right time. Um, so we're putting those assets out there so that people know, hey, if I'm in that situation, how can I, you know, support a pop-up hospital? How can I support better specimen tracking where the specimens may be collected in a drive-through kind of facility? So uh, that's been a very moving campaign for us. It's been very well received and the focus has been really on celebrating those frontline workers and then trying to find ways to help uh, people, whether it's clean their existing devices or get some of these critical applications uh, up and running. So those are a couple of my favorites. You know, we've seen some really awesome campaigns as a result to the the tragedy and uh, and just overall craziness that has happened. And it does kind of make you think, like maybe getting out of our comfort zone a little bit on these marketing campaigns to do more of. Uh, more, and I don't want to say creative, uh, cause it's, you know, in response to a tragedy, but, um, just things that are a little bit more empathetic or more, uh, understanding of, of what's going on and understanding people's reality, because we are seeing 
a lot of campaigns that designed like solely to help people, right? It's like, and, uh, and they do really, really well. I, I'm, I'm curious if, if it kind of does give you, give you, give you pause to say, Hey, maybe we need to, you know, do some extra efforts, um, you know, in this same vein forever. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think we were all, uh, happily su- surprised by the kind of feedback we got. Cause this, this, this campaign had nothing to do with, with selling and everything to do with celebrating. And if you watch the video, there's, there's very few references to, to zebra in it. Um, I think it, it probably is a technique that, that can work. This was clearly something that made us stop and think. And, you know, when we came up with our initial brand campaign and we really focused on these frontline workers, cause it's been the focus of our business. It felt very, um, you know, it felt like it was our essence when we came up with this brand of celebrating the frontline uh, of, of enterprise, which is where our device are used. That, that term frontline, I, I don't, don't think you heard it a lot when we launched the campaign a couple of years ago, but by golly, you hear it a lot now. And um, it just felt like the right thing to do. And I think it has to be considered uh, for the future of, you know, hey, I think everyone's thinking about how can, how can we help? And in the short term, it was how can we celebrate these heroes? How can we help them do their job better? Clearly, that's been our focus. The next focus I think we're going to have is going to be how do we get people back to work, right? And, and that thinking has already started. And, and there's, we're working on solutions to help do that as well. It's a great point. And maybe it's just a larger lesson on uh, if more marketers are thinking about, you know, how can I help rather than, uh, you know, features and benefits. Uh, it's probably just a good mental mental yeah. exercise to go through. Yeah, I, I think definitely given the consciousness of where people are today, that's the message. That's the right message. And, and we saw it resonating very well. And I hope that remains a, a focus long term. You've also done some work with the NFL. Um you know, providing some next gen stats. I'm curious, like, how did that, uh, how did that engagement go? It seems like, you know, especially, especially something like the NFL, which is, um, over the more recent years really been embracing, uh, the kind of stat and explosion here. Um, I, I'm just curious, like something like that seems like it could be a, a really cool thing. So first of all, it is a really cool thing. It's, it's fun to, to watch. <laughs> Um, And let me explain the solution for people who who may not know. So Zebra is the official player tracker for the NFL. And what that means is in every game, irrespective of where it's played, it could be played in Mexico, it could could be played in the UK and Tottenham or or where have you. um, All the players wear two chips on their shoulder pad. The ball has a chip. um, And all those stadiums are outfitted with receivers. And we can tell the very, a very precise uh, location of players and the ball, the speed, acceleration, deceleration, the space between players. And here's where that becomes really important. Think about if I know in quarter one that a particular player, defensive back, is, you know, three feet away from the receiver in quarter one, but I notice his performance degrades from quarter one to quarter four, that might change my strategy, right? So the data is used in, you know, it is used in real time to augment the broadcast, but it's used offline by all the teams to strategize and to, to, to evaluate players, et cetera, and evaluate performance. Uh, and about a third of the teams actually have our system in their practice facilities where they all monitor activity, speed, et cetera. And when we talk to coaches, they'll want to know, hey, I, I want to know on Wednesday, I want my receivers to reach their top speed on Wednesday, and then I don't want them getting near their top speed because I need them to be at top speed on Sunday. 
or I'm managing a soft tissue injury and I want to keep track of how much work a particular player is getting in or not getting in. So that's how the system is instrumented and that's how it's used to augment the broadcast, used by teams in their practice facilities, game data used to strategize, and that's how it's used. Um, and what I often tell people is, you know, we can track the location of 22 players on the field, you know, running at 20 miles an hour. But what that means is we can also track a pallet in a warehouse or an item in a warehouse or a person in a, in a warehouse. And so we know where assets and people are in a building if you so choose. And that can be very advantageous if you're trying to optimize your warehouse or optimize your facility or create more safety or know where parts are, or trucks are in a yard situation. Um, and maybe even in this COVID environment, we're working on solutions that will tell you what the proximity of people are uh, and when they've come in proximity of themselves. So we're working on a solution like that. But you can see in what we're doing in the NFL, how you can learn all that other information and how that can really help, you know, in this world of what we call the on-demand economy. Well, and I think, you know, for marketers, it starts to give you the the ammo that you need to really provide interesting proprietary insights to your customers and prospects, you know, and really flex those muscles. And I think that um, whether it's that stuff or, you know, I know you're a huge fan of AR and VR, and so maybe we can get into that, but um, there's going to be some really cool things that marketers will have at their fingertips that can speak to what their company can do um, and what, you know, that data can really inform and help, um, you know, your customers make better decisions or, you know, help your customer or your prospects understand how your other customers are making good decisions. Yeah. I mean, I tell you that the thing that I, I think the NFL does for us more than anything else is, you know, we as marketers are storytellers at the end of the day. If, you know, we could we could talk bits and bytes all we want and features and benefits all we want. But until you, you know, what people remember are stories. And if if I can explain to you how, you know, I'm a Bears fan, how uh, Cordell Patterson had the second fastest um, top speed of any player in the NFL last year while carrying the ball, that's a cool story. And where you make that connection, where we make that connection is most of our business is B2B. Most of our business is tracking um, assets and packages and material as it's moving through the supply chain or in the front of store or in a healthcare environment. But if you can understand us tracking in the NFL and you can get that story, that's an exciting way to understand, well, holy cow, if you can track that, by golly, you can track the assets in the hospital. Now I know where all my infusion pumps are, or now I, you know, now I can be sure that I understand where, you know, the right person is with the right skill set to get to room five, right? That's, that's the connection. That's the part of the storytelling that I find it particularly exciting uh, example for us and a great storytelling opportunity. What about one of your campaigns over the years that maybe was more of a learning experience? I would say that the ones that didn't get the kind of results that we wanted, I, you know, I'm a big fan of let's try different things. Like we, we constantly have to be trying new things and sometimes we try things that don't work. And I think that's an okay thing as long as you learn from it. Um, I'd rather, I'd rather take a risk and try something than just assume that I, you know, that we all knew better what the response was going to be. So I won't, I won't pick on a given campaign, but I think we always learn something uh, by every campaign, because we wouldn't run a campaign like most people wouldn't without understanding the kind of response we expect. And if we don't see that, we go back and say, well, why was that the case? And how do we learn from it? But 
But I, I wouldn't want to discourage people from, you know, having a campaign that didn't work. I think you've got to be constantly pushing the envelope. And that means sometimes they're not, they're not going to get the kind of response that you want. Yeah, it's almost funny how sometimes the massive flop is the best kind because you, you get to dissect all the different pieces of it that, uh, that made it flop, right? For sure. You've talked in the past uh, about term millennial-minded. Um, what, what does that mean? Yeah, so I usually use this term when I talk about social media. And we're a company, again, as a B2B company, you won't see us advertising on TV. We, we won't advertise on the radio. We'll do very micro-targeted um, advertisements, typically digitally. Um, that's, that's our focus. Um, so when I think about millennial minded, though, I, I think social media is such a powerful tool. And I tell people, I, I can't make you a millennial because I don't have a time machine, but I can make you more millennial minded. And we've pushed a lot of tools out to help people who may not actually use social media in their personal life to find ways to use social media to promote the company and our products and our channels, et cetera. And, that, and that's what I mean by millennial minded is you may not have grown up with social media. You may not be like my daughter who's, she'd kill me if she knew I was talking about her, but you know, constantly on Instagram, but you can engage with social media and you can learn how to create a great profile. You can learn how to develop a network and you, you can learn how to, how to promote things that are important to you through social media. So you can learn that. that that's really what I mean by the millennial minded. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, how COVID and the pandemic are, are kind of shaping um, the new normal right now. And obviously that's going to change. We, we don't know what's coming. Um, but I'm curious, like, how have you been leading through these times, like internally with your team? Well, I mean, I, I think the first thing that, that I would say is, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the way the company has handled this internally. Um, we, um, we were very conscious of the health and well-being of our employees and our customers and our partners. And that's really been top of mind with us. And even before um, there was any uh, shelter in place orders, Zebra had instructed everyone worldwide to start working from home. Uh, we started an incident response team almost immediately uh, when COVID broke out in China. And we've been managing different techniques to either keep our teams at home as best we can, or the essential workers that need to be at work and need to be at a facility, keep them as safe as we can keep them. And we've been managing that, I think, very, very well. We've been really trying to, you can't over communicate in this environment. So we've been communicating, I think, very effectively to both our channel partners as well as uh, our employees. And I think we've handled this in a really good way internally. And I think we've been very transparent and upfront with all the moves that, that we've made, um, primarily to focus on the safety of our individuals, but also, you know, we try to celebrate where we're playing a role in improving the world. And we talked before about pop-up hospitals, drive-through specimen collection, um, and there's also been a fair bit of donations. We've we've given a, a substantial donation to the Red Cross as a company. Our employees have also uh, given a fair bit of money, and we're also giving time. So uh, we're seeing a significant increase in uh, volunteerism uh, at Zebra to help with this. So we're very proud of that, and I think it's been, uh, I think we've managed it actually quite well. And I say that not just my own opinion, but uh, we've asked for a lot of feedback. I went through a, a fair bit of feedback from the marketing team this morning about how we're handling it. And we're asking the question and 
I think people are happy about the way we've we've managed through it, and and we've we've done everything in our power to you know to protect the the safety and well-being of our employees. That's been our key key theme. You were obviously deeply embedded in the IoT community, um, and clearly. Internet of Things is changing everything. There's more connected devices than people on the planet now. Um, how is Zebra using that, and how do you think marketers can uh, can look at these changes? Yeah, I mean, at Zebra, you know, one of the things that we look at is what's happening out there in the world, and and we think about IoT. Why is IoT becoming important? Well, in our mind, is what's really happening is this idea of the on-demand economy, and what is that? The on-demand economy says that the consumers want what they want, when they want it, and they want it now. And they want it in an ever-increasing, faster manner. Um, if you remember a few years back, it was almost magical when you made an e-commerce purchase and it showed up in two days. You're like, wow, this is awesome. And uh, when it didn't show up in two days now, now it's like, hey, this is ridiculous. How can it be that I didn't get my package in two days? It was a miracle, by the way, a year ago. And now it's a complete disaster that I don't have it. And the expectations keep going up, 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 and up. and what we're seeing is the enterprises we serve are recognizing that the only way to keep up with that ever increasing, you know, idea of on-demand economy that's increasing expectations is to start to digitize your business. And a lot of that digitization already happened in the core of their networks. Like most big companies in healthcare, they, we have an electronic medical record, or if you're in a manufacturing plant, you have a, an ERP system. You've digitized all how your business runs in the core. But really what's lacking and what needs to be improved upon is how do I improve that edge of the enterprise? That kind of place where zebras traditionally lived, whether that's putting a barcode on a package for the first time a few decades ago, we're bringing that package into the digital world. This is where the real activity is happening. This is where those core digital systems get disconnected. Those, we sometimes call those systems of record. They say what they think should be happening, but what's happening in the real world is sometimes different. Sometimes the person delivering packages doesn't go and deliver things in the order that you expect. Sometimes what's on the shelf in inventory isn't what you thought you had out there based on the stuff that you've sold and what you've put out there. That discrepancy between a um, system of record and what we call a system of reality is closing that gap, creating more visibility in the enterprise is, has to improve. And that has to improve at the edge of the enterprise. And that's where IoT really comes into play. If I can start collecting and digitizing the edge and resolve the differences between what my system says is out there versus what's actually happening, then I can create the visibility that's necessary to get a step function in performance and efficiency uh, and operational effectiveness that can keep up with that on-demand economy and those ever-increasing demands. So that, that's our focus on IoT. Sometimes we in Zebra, we call this our vision, which is we call the enterprise asset intelligence. And the idea is how do you get every asset and worker on that edge visible, connected in the network and optimally utilized? That's our way of talking about IoT. And that's why we're passionate about it is that area has to improve if we're going to see improved performance because the expectations are certainly getting higher. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about how you can discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. 
put your customer at the center of every interaction. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. We love them. They've been here since the very beginning of this show. Check them out. Lightning round questions. Jeff, are you ready? Let's do it. Number one, what is your favorite golf course? Windstone in North Barrington, Illinois. Do you have a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? I'm a, a big fan of Robin Hood Snacks, believe it or not. So that's my favorite podcast. Best advice for a first-time CMO? Build a great team and build great culture. What's one thing that you're most excited about for the future of marketing? I actually think marketing is going to be a super exciting place. And I know that some, some CMOs have already become chief revenue officers. And I think um, in B2B and some companies, that's happening slower. But I think it's inevitable. The, the customer journey is going to become more, more and more digital. There's going to be some products that always need to be sold by, by individuals but there's gonna be more and more that are sold online. And what that means is more and more of the buyer's journey and, the, and for us, the uh, partner journey is gonna happen digitally. And I think that that just raises the stakes on the importance of marketing. And I think there's so many more cool tools in the area of digital and analytics that are gonna be at our disposal. So I think we've got a really unique opportunity where the way customers wanna buy is gonna be more digital and the tools that we have available to us and the information and analytics is really matching that need. And I think it's gonna be exciting to see how that all transpires. And I also think that you, that marketing to become more and more as a result of that, the voice of the customer. And I think that, that those are key responsibilities that I think are gonna make marketing an exciting area over the next few years. That's it, that's all we got, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining. Take care. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate having me on. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, 
and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.